Let's get ready for the Word of God this morning. Uh, Come with me to the book of James. We're going to continue where we left off. Remember last Sunday morning we had had guests from Norway, so we had to have a, a little hiatus. It's a fancy word for break, isn't it? Uh, so James chapter 1, and we'll skip on down because I did say that uh, we're going to just dip into this book. We're not going to do verse by verse as we normally do, but we'll dip in here and there. So reading from verse 12 then uh, of James chapter 1, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved... He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when the desire has conceived, it brings birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, excuse me, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Amen. Let's just stop there for the moment. Now, you may remember, of course, that right at the beginning of this chapter, I think it was part two, uh, we spoke, or James spoke of being tested by various trials. That's verse 2. And now here in verse 12, he speaks of enduring temptation. Trials, verse 2, temptation, verse 12. And he uses the exact same word for both of those, for asmos, for both trials and temptations. The word actually means the same thing. Parasma means the same meaning, but it's the context where it's placed that changes the emphasis. In verse 2, it speaks of trials that come from the outside that assail us, but in verse 12, it's speaking of temptations from the inside. In the former, the trials from the outside, as it were, God tests us to draw out the good But the temptations from the inside, from the latter, our flesh tests us to draw out the bad. In the former, we embrace the test in order that we may be perfected. God's doing something in us. However, in the latter, we resist the temptation so that it's not perfected in us, that it doesn't come to completion within us. The test will bring life to us, but the temptation will bring death, spiritual death, to us. Now, whenever we think of the word temptation, uh, desires here, I think, in the, the, the AV is, is lust. And whenever we think of those words, we invariably think of something physical, something sexual, but actually the word here, temptation, uh, means anything that draws us away from that which is right and good and godly. It could be anything, any wrong desire 
that will want to lead us the wrong way, down the wrong path, that is temptation. And that could be physical, of course it can be. But it could be emotional, and it can be spiritual. But as anything that will draw us, it could be an inordinate desire for something or someone that the end result is that we'll be led astray by it. And it will not be good for us spiritually, maybe even physically, certainly emotionally. And so these are the kind of temptations that Jim is talking about here. Now, one thing for sure is that all of us, without exception, will be tempted. In our humanity, in our flesh, we will be tempted. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, not if he is tempted, but when he is tempted. And all of us, without exception, have felt the temptations that come within our lives. Well, notice here how James, at the beginning of the chapter and now towards the end of the chapter, he changes tack. He begins by talking about trials from the outside. Now he's talking about temptations from the inside. And he links the two together. He speaks of them almost in the same breath. Why does he do that? Well, the reason is that oftentimes whenever we're going through a, a testing time, a trial, a difficult situation, a struggle, oftentimes under the pressure of that, that there's a temptation within uh, to forget God or how can I put this? Uh, the temptation can be with, uh, from within to to forget God in the sense, not that you can ever forget God, but not to trust the Lord in your test, not to trust the Lord in the trial that you're going through and want to run away from it and not to embrace it and say, I've had enough, Lord. I can take no more of that. And then the temptation is to get out of the pressure that we look for some pleasure. And we feel that the pleasure will get us out of the pressure. Are you still with me? And so this is why James links the two together. We, we want a way to relieve the pressure we're under with the trial. And so we look for some pleasure to escape the pressure. Often, it's whenever we are tired and emotionally drained that temptations arise. Elijah, whenever he was tired, really tired and emotionally drained because of the threat of Jezebel, it was then that he wanted to die. He wanted God to take him to the glory and he has to get out of it. That was his temptation. Remember John the Baptist? It was when John the Baptist was thrown into prison. It was then, under that pressure, that he was tempted not to believe that Christ was the Messiah. Are you he that should come or do we look for another? Is this all wrong? That was a temptation. On the other hand, you remember David? It was a time of the year when kings went out to war and his troops went out to battle and he should have went out with them as the leader. But instead, his kingdom was by and large settled. He was very prosperous. It was a, by and large a peaceful time. He didn't feel, I want to go out there for a battle. And so he stayed behind and in his idleness, do you remember how in the top of his roof that morning, he looked out over and he spotted Bathsheba bathing herself. 
And so that was in the time of idleness, when he should have been doing what he should have been doing. He wasn't. The Bible says the devil makes work for idle hands, doesn't it? Isn't that the old saying? And so his flesh took that opportunity to present itself. However, James here makes it abundantly clear that where these temptations come from and where they don't come from. Listen to what he says. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone with evil, that is. Now, there are many who will justify their temptation by saying, well, I was born this way. Well, that's just the way God made me. It's just part of my psyche or my personality or it's just my way because, well, I, I was always like this, you see, because then if I was always like this, well, God must have made me this way. There's plenty who will do that. There's others who will maybe say, trying to be a little bit more spiritual about it, well, uh, God, uh, well, I know it's wrong, but maybe God has given me this just to test me. Hmm. Well, James does away with all that nonsense. <laughs> he says, no, it's not God. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man with evil. James dismisses it. You see, God, if I could, maybe this is not very good grammar, but God is not temptable. He cannot be tempted. It's impossible for God to be tempted by evil. He is completely and utterly averse to it. He does not live in the dimension of evil at all. Cannot be tempted by evil. Not only that, he will never, ever tempt any man to do what is wrong, to do evil. Now, we know the devil is a tempter. We know that. We know that even he attempted to tempt Jesus. But did you notice that James doesn't even mention the devil here? Did you notice that? See, he doesn't want to give us any excuses because we're good at making excuses, aren't we? Well, I am anyway. I don't know what you are, but we're all good at making excuses, aren't we? See, our human flesh will want to make excuses and we want to play the blame game. Uh, and you know the blame game started in the Garden of Eden, didn't it? Whenever they fell into sin, when God came looking, Adam says, the woman you gave me, implying it was his wife's fault and it was God's fault. If you could paraphrase that, he could say, well, I, I didn't ask for a wife. You gave me a wife. I wasn't looking for a wife. I was happy the way I was. But you came along and said, well, it's not good for man to be alone. You made me a wife. You brought her on to me. So it's your fault. It's not mine. It's her fault. She gave me. And of course then Eve says, it's the devil's fault. The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. So we're good at the blame game, aren't we? Always look for a reason. Well, James doesn't give us, he doesn't allow us into the blame game. So he doesn't, he doesn't even put the devil's name in here. He doesn't even say the devil tempted. God cannot be tempted by evil because he is utterly and completely holy. God cannot be tempted by evil because he is, verse 17, the father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. There's no shadows about God. He lives in ineffable light. He is light. And so there is no possibility for even to be a shadow, not even a hint of evil. 
You see, not even the life of Jesus again and again and again, even his enemies, even Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. Completely and utterly holy. And God is immutable. Theologians like to use that word. It means unchangeable. God does not ever change. No shadow of turning. No variation. The same yesterday, today, and forever. So James says, let's get it right. It's not God when this temptation arises. And he doesn't even add, it's the devil either. Here's what he says. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. In other words, the devil didn't make me do it. (laughs) Matthew, sorry, you don't have to turn to this. I'll just read it. Mark 7, verse 20 and 23, Jesus speaking. He said, what comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from from within and defile a man. So here we are, coming from within, from our flesh, from our fallen nature. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now notice the word here, drawn away and enticed. These two terms are to do with hunting and fishing. James has given an illustration here. And just the way in hunting, a trap is set and there's a bait in the trap. And just the way in fishing that you bait the hook. You hide the hook with the bait, whatever it may be. So that either the animal or the fish, it sees the bait, and its desire for the bait overrides the danger of the trap or the hook. Even as particularly, particularly animals, even when it, kind of gets an inkling there could be something wrong here, something just not quite right. But the longer it looks at the bait, the more that overrides any danger there is in the trap. And it gets closer and closer and closer. And then the trap is sprung and the bait is taken. Joyce and Raymond had a little mouse last week. Did you get that mouse? What did I eat? Mars bar cheese? Both. It was a crafty mouse. It was hard to get. (laughs) But eventually it took the bait. It couldn't resist the lure. Its attractiveness hides its dangers. You see, if the bait wasn't attractive, we wouldn't be drawn to it. Sin can be very, very attractive. Eve saw the fruit that it was good, looked good, smelt good, 
felt good, tasted good. Sin can be very, very attractive. And it's that attraction that draws us. And that's what overrides the danger and the trap. It's our own desires that draw us away and entice us. When David saw Bathsheba at that moment, he should have turned away and went down into his chambers. But he didn't. He lingered. And the longer he lingered, the more he longed. He saw the bait. And any danger there may have been, he let that danger pass because the bait was so attractive to his flesh. And so, we need to be careful, don't we? Then he made inquiry. And when he made inquiry and he found out that she was a married woman, he definitely should have stopped at that point. For sure he should not have went any further. Off limits. Out of bounds. Do not touch. But he didn't. Because the bait was so attractive. And after all, he was the king. And he could have whatever he wanted. And Emily found out Eventually, that her husband was out fighting his battles. <laughs> adultery then led to murder. And then murder and adultery, it led to the sword never leaving his own house. And there was an awful price paid for that moment of being drawn away and enticed. You see... The reality is the reality is that God gave sex for pleasure and procreation. It was God's idea. But God, because He knows it's a precious thing and it's a powerful thing, He puts limitations on it. He puts restrictions on it. And the limitation is only no exception to this, only within the bond of marriage. Only for everyone, saved, unsaved. No exception to that. And the reason why is because it's such a powerful thing. And to break God's rules, to go beyond God's limitations, it can bring shame. It can bring disrespect to self and to others. And it certainly has brought Many, many unwanted pregnancies. And it can and does bring venereal diseases. And on and on you could go. You begin to see why God restricts it to within the bond of marriage. Food is wonderful. We can't do without it. But gluttony is a sin. Sleep is great, isn't it? Wonderful. Within reason. I mean, if you lie in bed to lunchtime every day for no good reason, there's something wrong, isn't it? 
So there's lots of things in life that God has given us for our good to bless us. But we can take those to extremes. And they can master us. And we become their slave. Then he says, listen to it, verse 15. Then when the desire has conceived, it brings birth to death. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Notice here how James changes the illustration. He's talking about temptation to sin, solicitation to sin. He's talking about it, first of all, as, as traps and baits. But now he talks about it in the terms of conception and birth and death. What does he mean? The moment we allow ourselves to be drawn away and enticed by our own desires, that temptation, whatever it may be, is conceived in us. And whatever is conceived in us will bring forth to birth. That's simple, isn't it? You understand that, don't you? Whatever is conceived in us will come forth. It will bring to birth. And James says that this temptation, whatever it may be, once it's conceived in us, it will bring forth to birth sin. That's what will be born out of it, sin. And that sin, he said, will grow into death for us, spiritual death is separation from God. Now I'm not saying you're going to go to hell. But separation from God, something comes between us and the Lord. And there's a sense of intimacy that's lost. There's passion for Him will lessen. There's a wedge between us. If you read Psalm 51, uh, David's great prayer of repentance, it's a wonderful psalm. And see how David felt during that year when he hid his sin until the prophet Nathan came and confronted him and then it was out in the open and then he repented. But when you read Psalm 51 and you see how he really felt about his bones, he was eaten up inside. How thoroughly ashamed he was. Somebody said that sin takes us further than we want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay. And it costs you more than you want to pay. It really does, doesn't it? Then I said, verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. That means here to be led astray, to cause to wonder, to get off course. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And James reminds us of three things here that will help us not to wander, not to get off course with God, not to be led astray with the temptation that arises. First of all, God's judgment. He says that sin leads to death. That's a judgment. David paid a great price for his sin. From that moment on, his whole house was troubled. His son turned against him, wanted to kill him, tried to steal his throne. 
Daughter was raped by one of his sons. It's awful. Awful, awful, awful. Sword never left his house. Can't sow wild oats and get good corn. Sure you can't. There's going to be consequences. So James is very blunt, isn't he? And if I'm preaching very blunt this morning, because it is very blunt. There's no other way to say this. But if it saves us from going down a wrong path and causing us hurt and pain, then that's a good thing, isn't it? Second thing is God's goodness. If only David had remembered God's goodness towards him. If only David in that moment would have thought, Lord, I can't do this. You give me such a privileged position. You bless me so much. Look at my kingdom. He was the greatest king Israel ever had. God honored him in so many, many ways. He was so loved. Lord, you have blessed me financially and physically and spiritually and you've given me so many gifts and abilities and talents and look at my kingdom, it's wonderful. Thank you, Lord, I can't do this. But he didn't. He got his eyes in the bait. Whereas Joseph, Genesis 39, remember when he was Potiphar's slave? Potiphar was the captain of Pharaoh's uh, bodyguards. He had a very privileged position, man of wealth and stature in the community. In fact, the political prison was at his home, so he was well trusted by Pharaoh. And here's this young slave boy, a young man. Bible says he was well formed and handsome. Young Jewish slave boy and, and bright, sharp as a tack. And, and Potiphar realized that and within a short space of time he would put him in charge of his whole household. His money, everything. Trusted him implicitly. With his very life if necessary. And you know the story how that Potiphar's wife took a shine to him. Come lie with me. Not just once, not just twice, but day after day after day after day. Trying to wear him down. Trying to get him to give in. And it mustn't have been easy because he's just a slave. He could have took his chance, couldn't he? He could have took his chance. But you know what he said? He says, let me paraphrase, your husband has put everything in this household into my hands except you. You're off limits. I have responsibility for everything here, but you're off limits because you belong to him. And here's what he said, how can I do this great evil and sin against God? He didn't even say sin against his master, Potiphar, or even her. He says, how can I do this great evil and sin against God? In other words, he recognized the blessings that God had given him. He recognized the privileged position that God had placed him in as a slave. He recognized God's hand of favor was mightily upon him. And he recognized that. And he wasn't going to blow it. He wasn't going to slap God in the face. He says, no, I can't do this. This would be a sin against God. God's been good to me. If only we could remember the goodness of God.
And you know, in the end, David did in the end, because again, if you read Psalm 51, it's Lord against you and you only have I sinned. And that may seem a little bit strange because he certainly sinned against Bathsheba, definitely against Uriah, against his whole household, against the nation. But he says, above all of that, Lord, I've sinned against you. If only he had to remember God's goodness. If only we could remember God's salvation. In verse 18, we didn't read this at the start, but we'll read it now. We'll be finished in a moment. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Now notice here that James uses birth as an illustration of the temptation and sin. Now he uses it as an illustration of salvation. I like what Warren Wearsby said. Warren Wearsby said, you know, <laughs> whenever you're born in the natural, you're born of two parents. But our divine birth, we're also born of two parents. We're born of the Word, and we're born of the Spirit. Listen to the Scriptures. Here's what he said. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the Word of truth. Peter says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. And then Jesus said in John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. So we are born again of the Word and of the Spirit. That's our parents, as it were, spiritually speaking, that born us into the kingdom. First Corinthians chapter 10. We'll be just close in a second. First Corinthians chapter 10. I've got to make mention of something before we close. Because if it hasn't already come into your mind, it probably will at some point. Verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Hmm. There is a way of escape. We're not left solely to our own devices. Aren't you glad for that? Spirit is willing, but the flesh certainly is weak, isn't it? In Second Peter chapter 2, verse Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. The Lord wants to help us when the temptations arise. Now, you know that in Matthew chapter 6, 
and verse 13 in that great prayer. Part of that great prayer is, and lead us not into temptation. Now that seems, does it not, to the casual reader, a contradiction of what we just read in James 1. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he himself tempt any man. But yet Jesus said to pray to God to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What does that mean? New Living Translation, 2nd edition, says, And don't let us yield to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The thought here is that God may preserve us from temptations that would lead us astray. Now, He does come, and He does convict, and He does warn. And oftentimes, alarm bells are ringing and red lights are flashing. God's signaling Don't touch. Don't do this. But we've got a choice. But we should pray, God, help me. Help me not to be led down that path of my flesh where it's going to do damage to me. You say, well, what about Jesus said, Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Remember Peter, James, and John in Gethsemane with Jesus? He said, you just stay there. And he went a little further to pray. And he came back. And what was happening? They were sleeping. Could you not watch with me one hour? They were sleeping. Here's what he said. Watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. But did they do that? No, they didn't. They didn't watch or they didn't pray. And what happened to Peter? He never should have went into that courtyard. Never should have went there. But he did. And what a disaster that was, wasn't it? Even denied he ever knew Jesus. You say, well, what about Jesus himself? Was he not tempted in the wilderness? Yeah, he was. But the Father wasn't allowing Jesus to be tempted by the evil one to see if either he would succeed or fail or to see what was in him. He already knew what was in him. In fact, he was really pleased with him. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. No, he allowed him to be tempted in that wilderness. To show those in heaven, to show those on earth, and especially to show those under the earth that this is the victorious one. This is the victorious one. You cannot and you will not defeat my son. (laughs) Try as you may. Even the very devil in person couldn't do it. And also to show us how to overcome the evil one. How did Jesus do it? How did he overcome the temptation? How did he overcome the tempter? By the word of God, didn't he? By the word of God. He reminded the enemy of the word of God. There is something about the word of God that is powerful. Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way, the psalmist says, by taking heed thereunto thy word, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, now you are clean through the word that I have spoken. 
There's something about the word that washes our minds and our thoughts that cleanses us. And that's why it's important to get to know God's word and to read God's word. Isn't it interesting that the very Son of God, when he was tempted by the evil one, the first thing that came up in his heart and mind was the word of God. (laughs) First thing. And even when the devil, that old twister, even tried to twist scripture and try to use it back against him. And Jesus was so well versed with the word of God. He says, but it is written again. (laughs) And he was just able to quote the word of God to him. said that Martin Luther one time was having an awful job. The devil's given him an awful time, especially when you go to bed at night and he couldn't sleep and the devil's coming, making all kinds of accusations about him and so forth. So Martin Luther got the word of God out. He set it down beside his bed and he says, here, devil, you read it. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> it's her shield, it's her buckler. Sure, we're tempted. We're always going to be tempted. We're never ever going to be in the place this side of eternity where temptations will not arise. But as we go on with Christ, and as we mature in the Lord, and as we get stronger leaning and trusting Him, then when they do come and they do arise, we'll be able to handle them better. We haven't fully got there yet. I'm sure none of us has. None of us are perfected yet. But as we go on, we're getting stronger and more knowledgeable and more trusting in the Lord how to handle it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.